Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree by offering master's degrees, graduate certificates, and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online. What the hell is that? There's no one else here that infernal ringing. Who are you? Gary Hoffman. I was raised to do one thing. Shannon Farron. Nothing will stand in our way. The Force. It's calling to you. Gary and Shannon. Just let it in. Looks like lawmakers have agreed on something on yes. Capitol Hill today. They've reached uh, what looks like a pretty significant bipartisan budget deal. Mitch McConnell has announced the agreement, a two-year, $400 billion budget deal that would provide the Pentagon and domestic programs with huge spending increases. So we'll keep an eye on this. Some of the details, more of it will come out over the course of our show. Uh, especially get into this at 1230 when we go into Swamp Watch and talk about them uh, again it looks like averting what would have been the government shutdown to start last night however or, sorry, tomorrow night however pelosi is saying ah eh, there's a lot of people who are going to oppose this unless they put daca in there that's what she said yeah. i could only uh, understand part of it because her upper plate was falling out wow speaking of ageist mm-hmm. ageism you're going to me aged getting aged uh-huh we're going to be talking about how People don't want to live as long as possible anymore. It's a, it's a weird. I'm going to say it's, it's a weird, weird. thing. It's, 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 as Monica Garcia would say, it's uncomfortable to talk about. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. I mean, everybody's going to die, right? right? But I don't want it to be tomorrow. Or it could be I today. Would, I would say I don't even want it 20 years from now. But there are people I know. I'm looking at her. Who's like, yeah, there's a there's an age limit. Like you As long as you can still enjoy doing things, I'm in. As long as I can still enjoy doing things, I'm in. But when I can't do the things that I like to do, you're out. I'm out. Like that. Bam. On a Monday, you'd be like, I you call know what? John Cobalt. I say bring over my exit bag. I think he'll gone be- he'll be gone before that. Yeah, probably. But I don't know what his level of enjoyment is. Like, what does he consider I'm enjoying life? He uh, enjoys sitting in a room in silence by himself. You can do that for a long time. Yeah, you can. You can do that forever. If you can stand the machines that go beep, beep, then he'll be there forever if he can stand those. We're going to talk to uh, Dr. Wendy about it as well because it is Wednesday, which means Dr. Wendy joins us in the 1 o'clock hour. Also, uh, she's going to be talking to us about worrying yourself awake. We've probably all been there where your your thoughts are racing and you worry yourself awake. And what do you do at that moment? She's going to help with some tips on that. How about close your eyes and go back to sleep? Hot Rails' Carmen Pugliafito has maybe caused some long-term damage for USC and its fundraising efforts. We'll get into that. 
Let's start with casino mogul Steve Wynn, though. Shall we? He has stepped down as chair and CEO of the Wynn Resorts. Has he surrendered his Larry Bird shorts? (laughs) No, he is holding on to those very tightly. Uh, The shares of Wynn Resorts were suspended from trading on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Gambling regulators in Macau said they were officially notified, uh, notified about the resignation. I didn't know you had to do that. But the Gaming Inspection and Coordination Bureau also said in a statement that its director and the city's financial and economic security met last week with the Macau executive director of Wynn Resorts to request a detailed explanation of these allegations and demand Wynn notify them of any result or progress or important information from the investigation with an unspecified time frame. So even Macau's can't, uh, gambling regulators are now sniffing around the wind resorts to see that how pervasive this problem might have been. And what does this mean for other people in Vegas? Because you know they're not all clean as a whistle. Now, it, the most shocking part of the story to me about Steve Wynn was not that he was propositioning his employees or forcing the masseuses to massage his genitals or even forcing them to have sex with him despite them telling him about their husbands and children. It's the fact that after all of this surfaced, after the Wall Street Journal went public with the more than 150 interviews it conducted to show just how pervasive this behavior was with Steve Wynn throughout Wynn Resorts, it was about the meetings he had that followed that report, meetings he's had in recent days with employees saying, we are a family. We stick up for each other when the going gets tough. Uh You do not get to molest, assault rape your employees and then play the family card that's not how families operate steve now he again denied it in the statement that he put out he denied any sexual allegations uh, sexual assault allegations he says that all of this came about as a result of a campaign led by his ex-wife however an attorney for elaine Wynn, the ex-wife denied that she instigated any of these news reports And I mentioned Macau's Gaming Inspection and Coordination Bureau. There's also investigations that are coming from gambling regulators in Nevada and Massachusetts. They're building, I guess, a $2.5 billion casino just outside Boston. So they are going to be investigating these allegations against the wind casinos as well. It doesn't matter who instigated the news report. The fact of the matter is this stuff happened. It doesn't matter who got the ball rolling on publicizing it. If they're they're credible allegations, then you you have to listen to them. Uh, And the descriptions, the details in these uh, were never, they were never discounted by Steve Wynn. They just, he just says that I deny them. Well, I mean, if you have a reason to deny them or if you have some sort of evidence or alibi or I've never physically met that person that claims that I did this, then those are those are things you could throw in there. Steve, maybe some. Uh, we I don't know why this picture exists. Which one? It's the picture of my pegged jeans. Oh, yeah. Well, this is why it exists. I read this morning in the post that uh, perms are coming back. Emma Stone got a uh, a perm, and this is this follows a number of things that have come back, like sunflower prints, things that we lived through. This is how we know we're getting old. We've lived through these trends that are coming back, like perms and overalls. And so we started wondering what else is coming back, what's next. And I wondered maybe pegged pants. Those were popular around the times of perms. 
So I, Oscar didn't know what pegged pants were. Yeah. So I had to peg my pants and show him so that we took a picture and then threw it up there. So that is that is our question. I mean, mine is the evidence there that there were pegged pants. But what else is coming back that should? Or, or shouldn't. what do you want to come back? Or what is coming back that you hate? Overalls, I'm looking at you. I love the, overalls on women. Chunky sneakers. Chunky sneakers? Yeah, it's yeah. so weird, but these like huge, like chunky Skechers looking LA gear kind of things. They're LA coming, gear. That's yeah. true. You see a lot They're of like, uh, back. TMZ pictures with like models walking around. Yeah, and Bella Hadid yeah. And, and all these. No, get rid of them. <laughs> they look like orthopedic shoes. It's terrible. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, when we so anyway, that's on Instagram at Gary and Shannon. We'll take your uh, comment. We'll talk more about it later on. But good question of what's going on with Amtrak right now? Yeah, I feel like every week we're we're learning about a new Amtrak a derailment, derailment accident. It's it's not good news. It seems like the crashes are uh, are caused by different things, but Amtrak is the common denominator. We'll talk about it when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Accidents for Amtrak in the past couple of months. December 18th last year, Amtrak train derailed in DuPont, Washington, going about 80 miles per hour into that curve. Remember, it was a posted sign of 30 miles per hour. Three passengers killed, dozens more injured. And then, of course, January, when all those lawmakers were headed to their retreat... On the 31st, Amtrak train collided with a garbage truck at a crossing in Virginia, killing the truck driver. That crossing had crossbars, warning lights, and then just uh, a few days ago, Amtrak train collided with a freight train parked on a siding in South Carolina, killing the train's engineer and conductor. Now, a lot of they're saying that not all of these would have been fixed with positive train control, but... There is uh, there is an argument that at least some of them, and you're talking about saving the lives of people who are involved in these accidents. Now, the one thing I think Amtrak has going for it is a guy named Richard Anderson. Richard Anderson is the new CEO for Amtrak. He joined the railroad last year after years as an airline executive. And, and he knows as much careful uh, planning and um, tracking of the locations of airplanes, and we've been doing it for decades, and it's getting better and better – he says, in a word, we got to bring the same focus and safety culture you have in an airline to the railroad industry of the United States. And, and it seems like it would be so much easier to do. There are you know, 5,000, 6,000 airplanes in the sky over the United States at any given time, and we know exactly, hopefully, know exactly where all of them are, whereas trains, uh, they don't have the ability, like we saw in South Carolina, to just steer to the left a little bit to avoid somebody. I mean, if they're on the same track, there's not much that you can do to avoid an accident. The engineers you wonder about whenever there is a crash or derailment. And it looks like the engineers in recent Amtrak crashes had several years experience under their belts. Uh, The engineer in DuPont, Washington, 55 years old, he had been working as a conductor for the past 13 years. The engineer that uh, that was involved in a crash a couple years ago, forty-seven. I mean, you're not seeing. Oh, these are these are 
22-year-olds, 25-year-olds that are new and they don't know what they're doing kind of thing. Right. So it seems like all eyes are, are on the technology. The technology portion is also hard to do because in many areas, Amtrak trains will run on tracks that are owned by other entities. Right. Um, the, the CSX freight railroad in South Carolina where that accident happened. And then, of course, the one up in Washington, they're running on Puget Sound Regional Transit Authority tracks. So Amtrak can't just come in and put its uh, positive train control technology on tracks that it doesn't own. It's got to work out the agreements. It's got to do all this sort of stuff. Uh, before that can happen. But it seems like it would be incumbent upon the industry, not just Amtrak, but the the rest of the industry, to make sure that that stuff is in place to prevent these types of accidents. Yeah. It's 2018. Right. What are we doing here? We haven't haven't mastered train travel. (laughs) Right. And uh, here we are in California with this giant, you know, albatross sitting out there in the Central Valley waiting to kill people, basically, if it ever gets up and running, which it never will, thankfully. All right, big day today. Have you seen this Quincy Jones big article in Vulture? We're going to get into it coming up in the next hour. He's talking Michael Jackson. He's talking Ivanka Trump. The most beautiful legs I ever saw in my life, he said the about The legs Ivanka. of a cover girl. The legs of a cover girl. He's talking about a lot of different celebrities. Oprah, many, 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 many big, big, big celebrities. Michael Jackson? <laughs> yeah. You talk about Michael Jackson stealing music? The article, by the way, opens with Quincy Jones saying, all I do is tell the truth. I'm not scared of anyone or anything. That's how truthy it's going to get. Good. Sounds like he was drinking a little bit, too. I don't know if he was or not. He's 85. I don't think he's into the bottle. No? Maybe. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into what you watch on Wednesday. Petros is going to join us. We're going to do our Bachelor Report because Crystal's finally gone. And then some more TV news stuff when we come back as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. It is that time, that special time on this show when we hook up with Petros Papadakis, not to talk about Cover 3, not to talk about USC. Nope. We talk about guys whose bright blue eyes are too close together in their heads. Way too close together. Ari from The Bachelor. No and... pillow lips can can cancel out those eyes being that close together. Pillow lips. That's what they call them, isn't it? Ugh. I don't know. Petros, what's going on? You've never kissed somebody with pillowy lips, Gary? I don't think so. Mm. That's a shame. Am I missing out on something? <laughs> I think so. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's like sleeping on the ground your whole life, man. <laughs> Kissing the lipless. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll search for someone with pillowy lips, I guess. Good for you. You try up in Santa Clarita. I'll see what I can find. It is a hell of a season, I got to admit. For a guy that's got no brain, no ambition, no real job, and his whole identity is being an ex-race car driver, and nobody's even sure about the validity of that, this has been a heck of a season. And it's been a heck of a season because of two things, I believe, Shannon. One, Crystal the villain. Two, I think that the other girls... Some of them are pretty damn well adjusted. I mean, nobody's perfect, but.
But these girls have kind of dealt with the situation and dealt with Crystal, I think, in the best way possible. They're but very Crystal, normal, aren't they? The yeah, remaining they, but, girls are very normal. And I don't know if you agree with me, but I believe that Crystal is a see something, say something. I'm worried about her capacity to become some sort of shooter. Like, I'm actually worried about her being a psychopath. Because who knows who's under that voice? We don't know who this girl is. <laughs> we've seen we've seen flashes of, of of a very mean girl. Yeah, she is a little creepy. I don't I don't want to say she's a shooter. Okay. Uh, she's definitely going to ruin more than one man's life with her body and her and her voice. But she is a hater. There's no doubt about it. She's a hater. And nobody's perfect. I mean, these girls are quirky. Becca, the one I like, is 22. She doesn't shave her armpits. And she was reported missing while working on a pot farm in Humboldt. And can I just say that's why you wear a bra? Mm. Women will know what? what I'm talking about. Oh. you. I mean, Halle Berry said it years ago. When We wear a bra to bed, and it keeps them uh, up. Keeps them up. She's, Becca, she doesn't wear a bra, and they are down. They are down there for 22. Oh. Wow. I, well, I, Everyone was thinking it. Petros, I feel like we should uh, excuse uh, Shannon and let her just have a moment with the women folk. I you think know I what? just I'm, did. I'm jumping in, Gary. Okay. I watched Mystic Pizza over the weekend, right? Shannon. <laughs> and the one thing I really noticed was just the lowness of the boobs. Right. You know? And yeah. it's like, why is everybody's boobs so low? Mm-hmm. That was another time of 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 braless of braless times. Yeah, Annabeth Gish, low boobs. Julia Roberts, low boobs. Lily Taylor, super low boobs. And I was just like, "What gives?" In the eighties, I mm-hmm. thought this was cool back in the day. Well, now it's I'm coming back. Cracking. Low boobs are coming back. Well, she's awesome. I love Becca. And then the other one's a taxidermy freak, but she she. It seems pretty well adjusted too, Kendall. But let's get to the clips, Gary. Let's I get can it. sense you're uncomfortable. All right, yes. I'm sweating over here. <laughs> yeah, well, me too, but I sweat all the time. <laughs> so here we go. Uh here is uh here is our friend Crystal being a hater about uh one of the girl who's uh kind of quiet. The girl who's kind of quiet is Lauren, one of the Laurens. Uh she she goes on a date. They're in Paris on a boat in the middle of the Seine there with Javert's body floating around. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> and uh, here's Crystal talking about how much everybody else sucks. Like, personally, like, I've been preparing for this, so I'm, I've been ready for this. <laughs> she was shaking. She was so nervous. How boring are the other relationships compared to my friends? <laughs> I mean, really. Maybe I'm white material. Fun life material. Mm, okay, more like, she does more have like first wife she, material. She does have a point. Uh, she might be third wife material, but anyway, <laughs> she has a point. She does have a more exciting relationship with Ari than yeah. any of the other girls, because except for crazy. maybe Petros's Becca, because she's crazy. Um, but evidence of that was his one-on-one date with Lauren B. Holy hell! What was wrong with it? What do you mean? Well, you would like it because she didn't talk. She just looked pretty as she walked along the streets of Paris. <laughs> What's there to say in the streets of Paris? They More than wow. For you. She said wow Aww. 17 times, and that was it. She's, a, she's not she is gorgeous. She is gorgeous, though. She's not loquacious. It was a boring date. You know, the one Lauren talked his head off and got kicked out, and this one barely talked. But 
they had a little moment at dinner and they made out after a couple glasses of wine and, and we move on. I mean, I don't, there's, it's only Becca in my eyes, only right. Becca. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> very much apparent. Yeah. You're and not even giving the girls another chance. To, uh, to the two-on-one. Now, this was a great moment in Bachelor history, Gary. You have the girl that's a taxidermy enthusiast. Now, I don't want to mistake this. She does not reanimate animal corpses herself. I think that's a noble trade. Uh, she works in production, which is uh, just just right around prostitution in my book. <laughs> and... Uh, Television production, which is even worse, and uh, but but she does collect taxidermy. Uh, Kendall, a little bit quirky. They go on a two-on-one date, and uh, instead of just making out with him and moving her muscular body all around on him, Crystal decides to attack Kendall, which I didn't think was cool. Mm-mm. And uh, and Kendall's like, "Hey, what gives?" And uh, really confronts Crystal about it in a very pragmatic way. And uh, you have to admit, Shannon, you had to be impressed with this. Um, one thing that Ari did express to me is that um, you did say you felt like you didn't know why I was here and that I wasn't ready to find love or for marriage at all. Yeah. In what way do you feel like I'm not ready? Well, I don't know. I just... I guess you don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. made it so hurtful to me is because you don't know. And you acted as if you did know. But I know when it comes to situations where you feel like you're cornered, saying something like that does help you in some sense. I dated someone like you before, where in the face of conflict, they have told me things that have like really hurt me. You know, I, I guess I learned that saying the thing that's most hurtful doesn't necessarily means, mean you win. It, it means that you hurt somebody. I don't, I don't really have words. <laughs> I don't really have words. No, me neither. <laughs> no. That was pretty good, right? That was pretty good. It was a Excellent. deep moment. It was a very deep moment. She chopped her up. And then and then she got kicked off. Crystal got kicked off. Thank God. How did you know? What do you mean, how did I know? I watch it sometimes. You've been sneaking episodes on the side? Well, here's the thing. I watched it with my wife and my daughter, and we all felt gross at the end You made of it. it a teaching moment. Yes. I, oh, God. I turned to my daughter, and I said, sweetie. And she goes, I know, Dad. I'm never going on The Bachelor. So. Did you guys watch This Is Us, too? I didn't uh, watch yes, it yet, actually. so tell me nothing. Don't tell me. I'm going to watch it today. Did you see that big oh, girl? I'm, I'm... No, where are you going? She took her headphones off, Pete. She can't hear I'm you. not watching the show. I don't know what happened. I just know there's that real uh, the uh, big girl on it. That's true. She is on the show. Man. Yes. Are we back to The Bachelor now? Yes. I'm just okay. saying, I like the size of her. Oh. <laughs> She's a lovely lady. <laughs> Uh, so Crystal is, uh, Crystal is out. Is there any future for this show? Is there any reason to watch yeah, the Yeah, we're going to have the hometowns, brother. Everything's fine. We're going to have the hometowns. Next thing you know, Crystal's going to be back for the women tell-all. Crystal's going to be back for after the final rose. Crystal's going to be back for uh, the Bachelor Winter Games. Bachelor in Paradise. Crystal's going to be back for the Bachelor in Paradise. You're never going to get enough of Crystal. But here she is getting kicked off. I'm so confused because I feel like I've just given love. I just felt like abandoned. Honestly, I question like, does I really want like a strong, competent woman, or does he want someone a little more timid that like needs him? I saw myself out there for Ari, and I put up with a lot of like I was weak, and I'm never weak. It hurts to not feel good enough. I just want to feel like accepted. Oh my God! Speaking of weak, and good enough. Okay, and we can all agree that her brother is homeless because he doesn't want to live with her, yeah. right? 
very clearly. I mean, she was all over the place. I thought she was a strong, confident woman, and then suddenly she just uh, felt uh, unaccepted and just wanted to be accepted. That's not strong or confident. Well, I think that goes back to Shannon's original comment that maybe she's a shooter down deep inside. Come on, dude. That's irresponsible. I can't talk about the BBW on... on on freaking this is us, but you guys could call Crystal a shooter. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Stay Think in your lane, that. P. Stay in your bachelor lane. You stay away from my this Don't is tell us. Me to stay in my oh, lane. you stay in there. Don't you love <laughs> yes. all me, Shannon Farron? <laughs> hey, we'll talk next week. Can't wait to see how the one goes. How dare you catapult me from your show? How dare you? Love you, P. <laughs> how dare you both? Shame. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. Gary and Shannon. And all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Uh, on this Wednesday, we're in the middle of What You Watching Wednesday, talking about some of the uh, stuff that goes on on TV. Uh, I love the way that Deadline Hollywood put this, uh, the, their description of Sunday night's episode of This Is Us. Yes. The car and funeral dominated This Is Us. Um, it actually returned to its uh, regular Tuesday slot. They didn't have any big game bounce. They were down 71% among adults, 18 to 49 from last night. The Sunday episode, if you didn't see it, did you see it? You saw it. I saw Sunday. You saw Sunday. Did you didn't see, see last, last night. Okay. Yes. Well, we find out how the dad died. We find out how Jack you died. You call it misery porn. No, no. That was Jason Nathanson's work. Oh, Jason. But, okay. but it's a, I mean, it's great. it is a Perfect. It's perfect, perfect because also your wife won't watch it with anyone. She's got to be alone to watch it. I feel the same way. What is that like? Porn. That interesting. Well, on Sunday night, we did watch it together because we had people over for the game and then cleaned up and then we were recording the whole thing. And it started late, and I had to record the show. So we started it at, I don't know, 9 o'clock or whatever time it was. And we sat down and finally started watching it. And it cut the recording cut off. Yeah. And That's why it said I, there were several advertisements before this episode saying, add the extension, add the extension. Right. And I did. Yes. Uh, so I knew what was coming. But when the, the recording stopped, my wife, I don't know where she got it from. I don't know if she has them regularly on hand, mm-hmm. but she pulled out divorce papers. And said the the very first line was, he didn't add the extension. And she held him up like this and mm-hmm. shook him at me. I said, hold on. I did record the neck. Don't worry. And thankfully, it cut off in a commercial break. So we didn't miss any even second of the show. Yeah. We all had the same feeling that your wife did. We weren't all armed with divorce papers that say Gary Hoffman on them. But I had that same feeling, and I knew that I had added the extension. But you still, but still get still that. I'm like, but what if? Yeah. What if I don't see the end of this? I can't go on. Huge credit to uh, to NBC, by the way, and the production team at This Is Us, because in the background of the episode, they had actual shots from the Super Bowl. Because yes. I mean, it takes place on Super Bowl Sunday. That was significant to that family. They were early shots in the game. True. Like the interception. Yes. Uh, but it was still like, hey, and I'm, that's really this game. They just showed that a couple hours ago. And for Dan Patrick fans, you got to see him in 1998, right. and you got to see him in 2018. Yeah. And you remembered Elway. He, Elway finally got his win, you know. And I remember that day. I remember that game. It's just kind of – that's one of my favorite parts about that show 
is the nostalgia because they're the same age that I am. Yeah. So like all all the stuff growing up, even like down to the kitchen appliances, some of which may catch fire. Smoke detector. Uh, with, down to you know placemats and and um you know just the house, everything. It just totally reminds me of childhood, and I love the back and forth. It's the, just genius. The one thing that we saw on Sunday night's episode that I thought was that is great for them because they haven't done this before is the flash forward. Yes. And you know what? I didn't catch it at first. I, I was like, wait, what? And I went back. I went, oh. And it made me so happy because now I know there's several more years right. of this to come. <laughs> they have a whole nother timeline that they get to explore like Westworld. Oh, speaking of, ah! speaking of which, Westworld comes back in April. That commercial during the Super Bowl, I called it immediately. You it shushed everyone. I know because yeah. that was. He's, uh, Monica, he is very serious about Westworld. Were you here? I, when I it... watch Westworld. I I get it. Yeah. Were you here though? Uh, when no, when we were when doing, we were our, doing updates? our updates. Mm-mm. Yeah, Gary is very militant uh, about Westworld, about the characters, uh, about yeah. it in general. He'll say things when it's running like analysis. He kind of becomes one of the characters. And my favorite line to just shout out random times is, what door? Yeah, he does that. Ah! <laughs> he does that Come on. I'm not well, now it. I'll get it if if you say it. Oh, it's just I'm not going to watch it this year. What? Why? What's wrong with you? Don't you want to know what SW means? I'm not going to get HBO just for one show. Okay. No and and I enjoy uh, Gary's recaps. <laughs> They're passionate. Uh, I started picking up Baskets, by the way. Baskets, the next season, has already started. And one of the reasons I wanted to watch this one is, uh, or because I'm still on it, is because uh, they have filmed a couple of the episodes up in that neighborhood, up in my neighborhood. And I I don't know why. I mean, I can't imagine what what locale they're using or going for, but... Anyway, it's that will be fun. Nikki in the newsroom says she watches Baskets. That's a my daughter hates it. She hates. I've never heard of it. It's oh, you'd like it. It's funny. It's smart humor. Dark, okay. I like it. Yeah. Dark smart humor. Okay. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, we have a guest to the Gary and Shannon's show, somebody who feels very strongly about a parole slip that's on the governor's desk right now. And he's the only one that can stop this monster from getting out. We'll talk all about it when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Look. I don't mean to frustrate, but I always make the same mistakes, yeah. Always make the same mistakes, Christ. Gary and Shannon, on this uh, Wednesday, it's February 7th, a couple things that we're keeping our eyes on. This Senate has apparently come to a deal on a two-year budget plan, but it does not include anything for uh, a DACA agreement. And Nancy Pelosi says no deal will be done unless it includes DACA. So she could be in the way of that. The White House has already said they do like this plan. It would fund the government at least through uh, part of March uh, and get things back on track. So this is an attempt to avoid a government shutdown late tomorrow. Also, this interview that Quincy Jones gave to Vulture. What a treat. He rolls on a lot of celebrities. He talks about the Kennedy assassination, about Michael Jackson stealing. He knows who killed Kennedy. Well, he has a theory that has long been publicized about Sam Giancana right. and Frank Sinatra and how they, they bought Kennedy the White House or the, at least the path to the White House. And then the Kennedys turned on uh, turned on him once they got in the White House. That's been long I think the, a theory. The, the theme of the whole interview is he knows too much. 
He, yes. that's, those are his words. Yes. I know too much, man. Yeah, the Clintons are in there. Anyway, it's a treat. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take you into the deep details when we, uh, when we uh, coming up after the bottom of the hour. But first, uh, a story that is not a treat. John Lewin is a district attorney in the L.A. County DA's office. He has spent his career putting away the worst of the worst. And when you put away the worst of the worst, number one, there shouldn't be a fear that they're going to get out, right? And number two, that if there is a chance that they get out, the parole board will be looking out for us, the innocent people who live in this state. Unfortunately, in California, that's not the way things always go. A guy named William Terry Bradford uh, was convicted several years ago, 17 years ago now, of killing his wife. The, the murder itself took place in 1988, uh, but he wasn't put on trial officially until 2000, uh, or rearrested in 2001 and charged with first-degree murder. And that's when John Lewin began to prepare for trial, the first cold case of your career. That's right? That's when I took to trial. So, um this you win. I mean, you win the case on behalf of the people of the state of California. The guy gets 26 years to life in prison. Here we find ourselves only 17 years later. And the parole board has recommended him for parole, despite the fact that you said that this guy had made threats to kill you, despite the fact that his own daughter had asked the parole board not to let this guy out. Well, it's, it's even worse than that, and, and I think it's important. I want to thank you both for having me here today. This is a really important issue that I think people need to understand what's going on. Um, what happened is the murder itself, you had a 55-year-old engineer, very highly thought of, um, upper middle class, and he was in a bad divorce with his wife. And when he couldn't starve her into an agreement that he wanted, she ended up going to court and ended up getting – a judgment that included back child support and alimony. They had a 16-year-old still at home and three other kids that were that were adults. And he had to pay uh, that $40,000 in back alimony and child support. He had to pay it $150 a month. And when the clause in the deal was that if he became 60 days late on the $150, she could, she could get all $40,000 at once. So he became late and he exchanges letters back and forth very arrogant, very I told you how this was going to be, kind of a classic uh, domestic abuser. And um, his wife, who clearly was afraid of him, um, did not confront him directly in the letters. But what she did was she and her lawyer went. They had to sell the house as part of the agreement. And the day before her murder, uh, he finds out the escrow company calls and they say, hey, we have a check for you. Uh, It's $40,000 less than you think you're getting because your wife and her lawyer – have garnished your money. So the next day, he doesn't show up for work, which is so unusual. He's such an incredible engineer there that his boss literally goes over to the house because he thinks he's dead. Finds him there. He's upset, won't talk about it. And that night, um, in a very nice area of Torrance, um, his wife is executed. She's shot five times, including uh, once in the back of the neck when she was probably trying to crawl away. Um, twice after she was not moving. And then we know that he goes to Redondo Beach Pier, and he ends up sleeping in his car for two days. So you might be thinking, well, why is he going to the pier? Well, it turns out that his wife's divorce lawyer has his office on the pier, and he slept in the car for two days waiting for him. And wow, no doubt in my mind, this was going to be a double murder and a suicide probably because he's a bright guy. He's not going to get away with both of these. So the police end up responding to the house. Um, 
this is another uh, class move on his part. Um, knowing that she lives with her daughter, their daughter, and their 16-year-old son, they, of course, get to find their mother's uh, executed body in the house. And immediately, um, immediately they say, you know what, um, it's got to be my dad. That was a telling line. The daughter was asked uh, by detectives, does your father own a gun? And and that she said at that moment. She remembered everything. She remembered all the hatred that her dad would spew at her mother for her whole lifetime. How did this case become a cold case? How how did they not have enough evidence to to go forward with this? Or or they did no charges were filed. He was arrested, but no charges filed. Well, so what happened was this was a circumstantial case. They did a search warrant originally on his house before they even find him. He's at the pier. They don't have any idea where he is. And and by the way, um, this is not a guy who's going to go to the beach to be meditating, um, sleeping in his car. He he lived about three miles from the beach, so uh, clearly he was on a mission to go there. When they search the house, they find a box, an empty box for a uh, three fifty seven Magnum, which it turns out will be consistent with the weapon that was used to uh, to kill his wife. Um, they don't find the gun. Uh, he eventually allegedly finds out about the murder on Sunday morning. Murder happens on Friday when he talks to his son. And um, at that point in time, he goes back home and he sees the uh, search warrant, goes in to talk to the police, and he gives a statement. And in that statement, he basically says that, you know, he had gone over to the house earlier that day to confront his wife. He said that he felt, and this is really a key, and this is how these guys work, the, the line, the word that he used, I will never forget was, I felt betrayed. Um, you know, who is she to come and take my money? I will tell her how much she should get. Um, we went to a lawyer for both of us together, and he said this was a fair deal. And so the bitterness about his wife is just um, off the charts. Um, that was what they had. It was a very circumstantial case, and, you know, unfortunately – 20, 30 years ago, uh, we weren't prosecuting circumstantial cases the way that that we do today. Um, It's an area for me. I've spent my career, that's what I do are these old circumstantial cases, primarily spousal murders. That's interesting to me. Why is that? Why didn't they prosecute circumstantial cases? Oh, oh my gosh, we need a whole uh, (laughs) whole uh, other hour. Here's what what I can tell you briefly. It kind of goes back to, um, we can blame Perry Mason for this. So if you go back to Perry Mason, he would always get Smoking up. Smoking gun, yeah. Yeah, he would always get up and he would say, this case is nothing but circumstantial evidence. And he kind of spit when he said it like it was just the lowest, the worst, worst kind. Yeah. And, and in actuality, um, you can have a case with an, with an identification. Someone says, you know what, that's the guy that I saw do it. They can be mistaken. A lot of time they are. A lot of times <laughs> they are. Circumstantial evidence, it's never mistaken. The issue is... What do those facts mean? But when you have these circumstances, so in this case, you got a woman living in a very nice area. She's a mother of four. She's very low risk. Who else but the husband? Yeah, and then and then <laughs> coincidentally, oh, uh, he got hit with forty grand right, yesterday. Right. He's sleeping in his car at the beach, and his gun, which is consistent with the murder weapon, is missing. That's nuts to me. So that was my case. So we got it filed. Um, it was a very difficult case for for us because we didn't have anything new. When you don't have anything new, the defense can argue that they've been prejudiced. One of the kind of ironic things about what I do is that these guys will run around for years and years when they shouldn't. Then when you charge them, they will literally file a motion saying 
it's not fair that you're charging me now. You should have charged me 30 years ago, and I've been prejudiced. I mean, it's really kind of the height of, are you kidding me? Um, almost had an expletive there that I... Uh, that's all right. That's all right. That's why Blake's um, on it. Hey, we've got to take a quick break yes. here. Uh, we'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about this monster because uh, John Lewin here, Deputy DA for LA County DA's office, was able to put this guy away finally, years after the murder went cold. And what he said in prison about John and his family, what he would do to them when he gets out, will blow your mind. Gary and Shannon will continue... If you close your eyes, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk, talking about a murder from 1988. This murderer, William Bradford, shot his wife in cold blood over money. He had two kids at the time, 16, 21 years old, up for parole recently. His daughter there testified before the parole board and said, I am terrified of my father. John Lewin, DA for LA County DA's office, also testified at the parole board at the hearing because when this guy was inside, when he was in prison, he told a fellow inmate about how he couldn't wait to get out, couldn't wait to get paroled to kill John Lewin, the DA who prosecuted his case. But first, he'd kill John Lewin's wife and kids and make him watch it all. And the parole board found that it was a good idea to rubber stamp this guy getting out. How the hell does that happen? John's with us today uh, for a little bit about what you can do now, what what your recourse is, if there is any recourse, and what the rationale was behind the parole board's decision. So this is what happened. Um, And just backing up one step, when he was sent to state prison, uh, after he was convicted in 2002, I was contacted by the Department of Corrections. You know, it's a call you don't want to get. Sure. Um, hey, listen, we want to advise you. A uh, guy you prosecuted is um, uh, is plotting to murder you and your family. So you know, that certainly gets your attention. And um, they had an informant who was his cellmate. And I said, is he credible? And they said, yeah, he's credible. I said, can I talk to him? So I spoke to him. For a long period of time, he wasn't asking for anything. He didn't want any any help with anything. Um, and I had asked him, why are you coming forward? And he had said, well, um, Bradford had confessed to him. And he said he just, he hated the guy. He couldn't believe that he could have executed, you know, his, uh, the mother of his four children. He said also, um, he's been showing me, uh, he was a satellite engineer. He's been making diagrams and showing me top secret satellite uh, information. So, They swept the cell, and they corroborated that. They actually found uh, the information. So when I'm talking to the the informant, I said, hey, listen, I'd like to polygraph you. No problem. I'd be more than happy. So he came down, told me the story, and we polygraphed him, and he passed. And the story was this, basically. Bradford, in essence, um, and this is the kind of person he is. He never told the guy, listen, I didn't kill my wife. I'm wrongfully convicted. What he said was is that, quote, well, he hated me. Um, and, uh, he said that I had stuck my nose into things where it didn't belong (laughs) that, um, that everything was fine until then that his investigators and attorneys had told him that it was the thinnest murder case they'd seen again, not that he didn't do it, but that he shouldn't have been convicted that he was going to get out very quickly 
And once he got out through appeal or motion for new trial, he was going to do some things he's always wanted to do. And then when that was done, uh, he had a to-do list, and I was at the top of the list. And then he explained what he was going to do. He wasn't just going to kill me. He was going to execute my, uh, my, my family at the time in front of me um, so that I could watch. Um, and then apparently, I guess, the, the last thing that you know, I would have felt was, oh, my God, I've let down my wife and children. Um, I've gotten them murdered, and then I would be killed. What did the parole board – you told this to the parole board. Oh, it's worse than that. Um, in advance, I sent a letter to the parole board with everything. Um, so they had the information. I also – I didn't come up there as a representative of the DA's office. I came up there because the family wanted me there, so I was a representative of the family and was able to speak. And I will tell you that the thing that gets me the most is that it was very clear that before we walked in there, that the commissioner had already made up his mind, um, and he didn't even give us the respect to pretend that he was going to listen to what we had to say. And, and this is this is what he said. We came up there, and um, they the he comes in and he's going to be eighty five, and he says that he's what's called DD two classified, and DD two basically means that usually needs reminders and assistance with daily functions, and he had somebody there to help him. Um, and then he also has a hearing impairment. Um, I wear two hearing aids, and, and he, he was hearing better than I was. And, um, and he had someone there to kind of help him. And so they spend a lot of time on all of his issues, et cetera, and they start going through his life. This man remembered every elementary school he'd ever attended. He would make corrections about you know, his degree, where it was from. His memory was far better than mine, um, except for, coincidentally, when it came to the circumstance of the murder. So originally, when he's asked about having, um, having his wife, he says she, quote, passed away, which is true. She passed away after he shot her five times. Right. Um, but as if, you know, she'd, my wife, she passed away. I lost her to, to cancer or something. He then, um, he then, they inquire a little more, and his question is, do you mean the lady I shot? And they say, yeah. He says he doesn't know why. He says, quote, I was not particularly mad at her, uh, which, again, he later used the term irritated. So apparently this is how he responds when he's not mad or irritated. I don't know how he responds when he's angry. I don't care if this guy has a hint of dementia. The parole board should not be letting out a convicted murderer who has made threats to, to your family Credible threats. I mean, who knows what this guy knows, who he knows on the outside. And you know what? It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a fully functional brain to walk up to your kids and kill them. Shannon, and this is what he told. This is what the so what happens is he goes through the hearing and the factors that they're supposed to be looking at, they're looking at certain factors. They can no longer under California law just look at the circumstances of the crime because the circumstances of this crime. I've tried a lot of spousal homicides and listen. It's horrible whenever it happens, but many times you have a decent person who on the wrong day, you know, with the, with the right circumstances, does something that they regret. They still have to be punished, et cetera, but they're not necessarily evil people. This is a man who wasn't, they weren't having a fight, he wasn't angry, and he said I wasn't angry. He lost, he was mad, he went in there and he executed her. So um, that's the facts of the case. The thing that they look at, is they're supposed to look at future dangerousness. 
they're supposed to look at, um, have you uh, accepted responsibility for the crime? He had never spoken about the crime at all until this hearing. They're supposed to look at, um, have you expressed remorse? Well, when he first talked about shooting her, he didn't express remorse. Later on, he says, I feel remorseful. It's about as stiff as could be. You're supposed to look at, what have they done inside? Have they programmed? You're going to love this. He's okay, wait, hold on. Up. We're going to yeah. stop right there. We're going to take a break for news. We'll come back uh, more with John Lewin and the, the monster that the parole board wants to let out free. Gary and Shannon will continue. Just Gary and Shannon. We are talking with John Lewin from the L.A. County DA's office. It was 17 years ago that William Bradford was convicted of shooting and killing his wife, uh, the mother of his four kids. And just last week, William Bradford was granted parole at a hearing despite objections, not just from John Lewin, but also from, from his own daughter. Uh, who said that this guy should not get out of prison. The parole board says, eh, we'll give him a shot, despite the fact that he had told his cellmate at one point that he wanted to have uh, John Lewin and his family killed. Where does this guy go if if he were to get out? Go in some sort of uh, assisted living home or something like that? Well, so um, it's strange you interesting you brought that up. So one of the factors they look at is what are his plans? So they asked him about his plans. He didn't have any. So he says, you know what? I want to I wanna live with my sister. And he gives his sister's name. And the defense attorney says they've been unable to speak to her. Um, he had said that this sister had all of his money. And he has, he says, millions of dollars. So over the lunch break, the defense attorney reaches the, um, the sister. Comes back and you can see the defendant looks a little agitated after lunch. And she addresses the board and she says, um, yes, I was able to get a hold of his sister. Um, no, it's not going to work out for him to stay there. Oh, and also, it turns out that probably he doesn't, there's no money left. So if you recall, he wasn't real happy, although just irritated over the 40000 Right. So now. In the death of his wife. wife. So now the money's gone. And literally, you can't make this up. One of the commissioners asks him, are you going to kill your sister? And he says, no. If that's even a question, you don't let the guy out. What the hell? Then then he comes back with, um, they're asking, well, are you mad? And and I wrote it down because, again, I I thought this was great. Um, Now, remember, before he was only irritated. Right. Quote, "Um, after I find out, I'll decide how mad I want to be. At her. He also said at one point in time, don't get mad, Sue. So he's going to engage the legal process, which I believe he did with his wife. And when it didn't work out, given that he's more of a self-help kind of guy, he went and executed her. So this is the information they're uncovering during the hearing. So I'm listening to this thing going, um, oh, and I I didn't get into his activities in prison. So he's been there since 2002. And they look at your programming. What have you done? So he's basically done no programs until 2017. And just the names of these, you can't make this up. He's gone a couple of times to the, quote, cage your rage group. 
So he's in the process of cage, of caging made up. his rage. Um, he says that um, they're in prison, and there's a program called Cage Your Rage. You know what that's called? Prison. It's a cage. So your rage. He's also he's also in a in another group which is called House of Healing. Stop it! Uh, you can't make this up. And again, he's he is learning to forgive himself for what he's done. Um, I'm glad he's forgiven himself. Right. Uh, his his children have not. And society shouldn't. But he also says that he's not there yet. He, he's still trying to figure out uh, what's going on. He didn't offer any explanation for really why he killed his wife. Guys, there's something going on here. There's something going on with the with the parole board. Uh, Mike Ramos in San Bernardino County just had a press conference this week saying that the California Board of Parole hearings paroled Six convicted murderers from San Bernardino County in the last month. What's going on? I don't know. This is a trend, apparently. The California Parole Board is letting out convicted murderers who threaten lives when when they're in prison. More lives. What's going on? Well, Shannon, you have to be, in the words of the parole commissioner, when he announced his decision, what he told me was, is, quote, there is no nexus between his threats to you and his future dangerousness. And I'm thinking, and this is what he said, that was 15 years ago. Well, he's been in prison. Right. They, Just, ca- so they caught him the last time. 15 years is not that long. Well, they caught him the last time. So as if, and he talks, he's got a clean disciplinary record in prison. It's as if they expected that he would be gangbanging, maybe taking over the cigarette and drug trade. Um, he's a guy who stews and plots and calculates, and then he acts. I'm sure you'd rather him be taking over the drug trade than threatening your kids' lives. Uh, I, I, gotta, I, I think that I think that would that would certainly be an improvement. We got to take a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to you about what we can do to stop this. All right, Gary Shannon, we'll continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, talking to L.A. County D.A., Deputy D.A., John Lewin, uh, about a guy he's trying to keep locked up, uh, a guy who killed his wife in cold blood, and then when he was convicted and put away, he threatened John Lewin's family, as well as John himself. The parole board has decided to let this guy out, and it looks like it's up to one guy to keep him inside. Yeah, so what's going to happen now is there's a 120-day period that started last week where the board themselves can review the grant of parole. One of the things that was unusual is this was his first time being eligible. Very unusual for murderers to be paroled their first time, and usually they have this incredible story of, you know, all the efforts that have happened, maybe their case, it was they were a battered woman, or, you know, they grew up in a horrific environment. This guy... First time out for parole, hasn't admitted anything. First time he admits to it is during the hearing and then pretends he doesn't know who he shot. So it, it goes to the parole board. They have 120 days. If they do not overturn the decision, and when the transcript comes out, I, I think it's um, it was as if when the questions were being asked, um, none of them were helpful to the to the defendant, but the board didn't care. He had clearly made up his mind, the commissioner, that the guy – has uh, some dementia, and he's not a threat, and I'm going to let him out. So hopefully when they review it, they will have the, the sense to um, 
undo this really just inappropriate and dangerous decision. But if not, then it goes to the governor who, um, from everything I've been told, has been very good in the past about writing these grants of parole to these dangerous people, especially when they have threatened or or harmed, you know, uh, law enforcement officers or or people in the uh, criminal justice system. How do you how do you change this at all? I mean, how do how I mean, we, we have this incredible story about the parole board having granted this guy parole that still does have some some hoops to go through before he ever sees the outside of the prison. But how do you change this? What can you do to get out in front of it or what can we do to get out in front of it? Well, I think the only way you do it is, you know, you turn the lights on and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm I'm talking to as many people as I can. And that's why I'm so thankful for this opportunity today, because I think that when people hear it, uh, they're just shocked. Um, They're shocked that he could brutally murder his wife like this and get out so early. They're shocked that while he's in prison at 70 years old, he can be threatening to kill a prosecutor and his family. They're shocked that he could do no programming in prison at all, that he could not admit what he's done until the hearing, that he has no plans for parole and and, and still have a grant. So I'm appearing, talking to everyone I can, and and hopefully it's going to shine enough light on it that they're going to be embarrassed and that they're going to going to rethink this. Um, it's interesting that the parole board uh, uses age to assess whether somebody should be granted parole. And it seems a little bit arcane that they're giving preference to convicts who are over the age of 60. 60 is not old anymore. Because this guy wasn't even put in jail until he was, how old was he when he went in? 70? He, he, he was 70. What's interesting about, about that point, Shannon, is that when you look at the statistics, you know, if you're going to talk about, for instance, um, you know, gang members, you don't have a lot of 60 and 70-year-old gang members. But the difference is, is when you have somebody who's brutally murdered his wife at age 55 because he's a bitter, horrible man and who is still expressing that bitterness, trying to have people murdered, et cetera, I don't think that he changed in prison. The one or two um, cage or rage meetings that he went to last year, I don't think that's really turned him around. So I think that they're looking at general statistics and they've thrown away common sense because you can ask a 10-year-old. Um, you know, I talked to my kids about what happened. Uh, my kids knew in advance that I was going to this hearing and they said, is he going to get paroled? I said, there's no chance this guy's going to get paroled. Mm. Absolutely not. Uh, now how are they doing? What are you- well, it's, you know, it's, I think for my wife and my kids, they're holding on to the idea that he can't be released until February of next year. And, um, you know, uh, the DA, my boss, Jackie Lacey has been very supportive, um, I know that Good. she'll be contacting the governor. Our chief of our Bureau of Investigations, John New, has been incredible, you know, telling me what can we do. You know, we're going to make sure you're okay. Because uh, obviously our system doesn't work if police officers and prosecutors or defense attorneys who are doing their job um, can be threatened. You know, I should add um, during this hearing, at no point did anybody ever contest that he made those threats and then later um the defense attorney at the hearing was interviewed and basically said that um, no one would ever take these threats seriously it's his word against somebody else this is absurd and literally said she's going to file a complaint because i was present at the hearing and that i shouldn't have been there so uh, my question would be the 
parole board shouldn't hear that this man is threatening my family. I guess maybe what should happen is after he gets out and he kills my son or my daughter or my wife, maybe then... Then we bring it up. Uh, then I'm allowed to come forward and, and say something. It's incredible. And this is not something that we are going to let go. Tomorrow I want to get, dig into the uh, per, uh, parole board. Maybe talk to Mike Ramos because he's pissed off about this too. And, yeah. and just in San Bernardino, uh, San Bernardino County, six convicted murderers let out in one month. Something going on with that parole board. John Lewin, thank you for uh, thank you for coming in today. Uh, like Shannon said, this is not something we're going to drop anytime soon. If you have any developments, let us know, and we'll let other people know too. I certainly will. Thank you again for for devoting so much time Absolutely. to this. It's really really something very personally important to me that just goes past you know my normal work. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, we'll come back. We're going to do all of our trending stories when we come back. Also, Swamp Watch at the bottom of next hour getting into what is a long-term budget deal that's been worked out. Gary and Shannon will continue after this. Some news breaking out of Washington. We will cover it coming up in Swamp Watch, where we talk all things Washington. After Monica's news at the bottom of the hour, uh, Rob Porter, the White House staff secretary, says today he's going to resign his position because two of his ex-wives are talking about what happened during the marriages, and it ain't good. Yeah, some physical abuse, some some mental abuse, all of that. So we'll get into that Rob Porter story at the bottom of the hour. Some other stuff is going on, though. Time for What's Happening. However we say that. Uh, Well, it looks like uh, congressional leaders have reached a budget deal. They've clinched a two-year deal that would lift some strict budget caps on defense and domestic spending put an end to a series of short-term spending bills, and they shut down fights that have just been the way we've done things, unfortunately, in Washington for the last few months. The deal, however, is expected to increase defense and domestic spending by about $300 billion over the next two years. So even if the White House says it is on track for this, and leaders in the Senate, both Republican and Democratic leaders, have said that they like this deal There are still some fiscally conservative Republicans who, like Mo Brooks in Alabama, say, I'm not only a no, I'm a hell no, because this is uh, this spending bill is a debt junkies dream. Ooh, yeah. Was that your line or his? His. Oh, his line. I'm going to give you credit for it. No, don't. Please, I don't want it. Nancy Pelosi wants DACA in there. She's been uh, speaking on the floor for hours. People are falling asleep. That denture cream is going to dry up here in a second. Listen, we all get old. We're all going to get old Mm -hmm. unless Mm -hmm. we don't. And that's not good either. Mm -hmm. Homeless people in Orange County in the news. Hundreds living along that Santa Ana riverbed will be able to stay there for a little longer. That's because a federal judge last night ordered Orange County to stop evicting people from this encampment. He granted a temporary restraining order in a lawsuit from seven homeless people against the county, Anaheim, Orange, Costa Mesa. This was an effort that began two weeks ago. To just wipe out that tent city. They say about 500 to 1,000 people live there and can continue to live there for the time being. Side note, let me go back to Washington, D.C. Yes, sir. Nancy Pelosi's been speaking. For hours. Since 10 a.m. Yeah. D.C. time. Right. Five. It's three. 
That's five out. No, that's eight hours that she's been at the podium on the house. You want to walk back that denture comment? That's longevity. That's a great commercial for denture cream, if that's the case. (laughs) I take that back. Somebody ought to roll tape on that. All right. There is a bizarre murder in the news locally. A guy who police say killed his wife, dismembered her body in an abandoned Pasadena restaurant, put her body parts in a suitcase, and carried it on to the gold line. It doesn't stop there. He gets off the train, goes to a Home Depot, Uh and sets the suitcase on fire in the parking lot there. They say he's a 56-year-old man, a homeless man, and that the wife is 31, but the body is so damaged they haven't confirmed her identity. You know, there's a lot of people that bitch about uh, pensions for police and Mm -hmm. firefighters. Yeah, but then if you are the one who has to open the suitcase and find these body parts inside. Yeah. Um, Side note, can I go back to Washington, D.C. for a second? Sure. Okay. I said uh, 7 a.m. our time, which would be five five hours. So Nancy Pelosi has been speaking for five hours. So the commercial's off? Eh. We'll see how you it want goes. her to go a couple more. I want her to go a couple more before I start giving her the contract to endorse denture cream. Hot rails, Pulia Fido. Hot rails may be good for your uh, for your attitude, but they're bad for fundraising. USC saw contributions tumble in the second half of last year. At the same time, huh. good old Carmen Hot Rails Pulia Fito's tales of strippers in Pasadena and ERs and overdoses were. In the news, um, a couple of USC employees spoke to the LA Times. They regularly deal with these contributors. Uh, said that some normally reliable donors have stopped returning their calls. Uh, those that do return their calls end up giving less than usual. These employees spoke on the condition of anonymity, of course, because they want to keep their jobs. Said that the donors told them they have been put off by these scandals that have been rocking USC. Uh, one said. What we're hearing is that the organization's moral compass doesn't fit my moral compass, which is something along the lines of, I don't like my medical school deans cranking out with uh, strippers in a hotel room Pasadena. And then the response was to name the Coliseum, the United Airlines Memorial Coliseum. That was your response. Good Lord. There's a big mess there. There's a big mess at USC. How how uh, Max Nickius still has a job? Is, I don't uh, know. A little strange. He must know where all the hot rails are buried. Um, does Tesla ever have to pay for another advertising shoot? Any sort of photo shoot ever? Uh, well, maybe maybe aside from new models and their their pictures. I was just talking about uh, talking with somebody about their new Tesla, and uh, he was saying, "Listen, as great as it is." Let's let's work out let's work out the uh, the kinks with the the Model Three before we start shooting rockets into space. Can I get my car to pair with my Bluetooth? Yeah, I see that. I can see that frustration. But this is a hell of a shot. That is a great shot. I mean, the the image of a spaceman in a convertible Tesla orbiting the sun. That's badass. Uh, they did lose the middle booster, is what I understand, though. Yeah, we it saw, didn't last land on the drone ship. We saw the two outside boosters land uh, back on land, and then the third one was supposed to land in a drone ship. It missed it uh, and slammed into the Atlantic Ocean at about 300 miles an hour. 
So that's not good. The number of people with norovirus at the Olympics is growing. Uh-oh. Right in time for lunch. Isn't tomorrow night the opening? The ninth. Is- I thought it was the ninth. Uh, ninth. But that's ninth Korea time. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. It's Friday. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Gary Channon will continue. I'm not good with numbers, but Nancy Pelosi has been speaking since 7 a.m. our time. <laughs> How many hours is that? Five hours. Okay. Right. 17 hours. Uh, norovirus when we come back. Don't worry. We won't talk about the symptoms. <laughs> Blake's haircut? I don't think we have. Yeah, we did. It's in that picture that we took today on Instagram. No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Nope. Oh, that's the troll. That's a troll troll, yeah. Sorry, I thought that was... Blake got his haircut. It looks very nice. Ladies. And some men. And sure. I mean, I don't know what he's into. Uh oh, I see. Yes, that is a that is a troll. That is not Blake's That's hair. Not Blake. No. Hmm. Okay. We do have a picture up on Instagram though. My pegged pants. That that reminds me of a sophomore year in high school. And but how does that make you feel? Fine. Save it. Doctor Wendy's coming in at one oh, thirty. We'll revisit it. <laughs> what are pegged pants, by the way? Just rolled up what? cuffs? Yes, no, they're there's, not there's, cuffs. There's That's definitely, different. There's definitely a cutoff here. Oh. Because Oscar and Monica are both the same age. Mm-hmm. I'm a couple years older. They and, didn't know what I, pegged pants were. And I were. was maybe, or maybe Northern California thing. No, I, I think it was. I think it was all over the place. Cuffs are just rolled. Yeah, that's what it looks like in no, this no. picture. I had to fold it over. Look, you got to fold it over mm-hmm. so it's tight. Yeah, and then roll. It's a science, really, yeah, really and you got to make sure it's tight so that it, you don't have to like redo it five times. Oh my gosh, cool, embarrassing, uh, super. <laughs> uh, especially right after PE class, putting those back on and trying to re-peg your pants. Mm. Try to get the same flare with which you pegged them the first time. Pegging me is a whole different uh, oh, has a whole different meeting. I don't know what you're my... talking about. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, don't oh. look at uh, and, and, no, 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 Don't Google it here. I will pour water on your computer monitor and short <laughs> it out so that you don't have to see what that is. He's saving you. Norovirus is bad. Uh, officials. It says it's just normal sex. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's what Urban Dictionary says. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Well, I'll stop. Officials are scrambling on the eve of uh, the South Korean Olympics. <laughs> To try to, try <laughs> to prevent a normal. to try to prevent a virus panic. <laughs> is that what normal is now? Oh I'm not. Sa- I told you, don't. <laughs> For the love. That was my fault. Now, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, South Koreans love the internet and they love expressing themselves on the internet. They have been scouring, skewering, skewering the government's response and their preparations for the Olympics because. They want to know, are the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang, are they hygienic? What are people going to think about South Korea if everyone comes home with diarrhea? Could this spread to the athletes? Might we have to cancel or postpone some of the events because they can't, they can't keep their shorts on? <clears throat> Hopefully this, un- this turns out to be nothing. Yeah, this is unfortunate. I think this is just people like to uh, have a, 
a biomat hazard thing, biohazard situation. Well, and any time like in Rio, any time you get feces in the foam, thousands of people together, they're you know from different parts of the world. Someone's going to get a bug, and that bug is going to be passed around. They said about twelve hundred people had been kept in their rooms during tests for the norovirus, and local and national health officials said they investigated almost well over a thousand people, and that only thirty-two workers. Out of 1,000, 32 were found and treated for norovirus. They are said to be in quarantine. The problem, they're saying, is that those 32 people were handling security. And because of their interactions with all of the different people, thankfully we are pre-Olympics. This isn't going on in the middle of everything. But uh, they had to bring in 900 military personnel to work at the two, uh, the 20 venues until the sick and sequestered people can return to work. What they're saying is this usually goes away in a few days and that they don't want anybody in a public place until at least two days after their symptoms have cleared to make sure that they are no longer contagious. But they have been putting up notices all around the Olympic Village. They're urging people to do the sing whatever song you want in, in Korean while you're washing your hands. Staying and, alive. Is that what it is? No, that's for... Uh... <laughs> That's for CPR. Yeah, I was going to say that. Thank you. Yeah. Same thing. I would sing need, that, too. Monica, you need some Purell? I got some over here. Oh, I got some over here, too. Okay, excellent. Everyone um, get your Purell on. Oh. We're not having any norovirus to pass around this joint. Apparently, the uh, South Koreans are a worrisome people. Uh, they said that they, are, they have shown constant concern over the last few months that their winter games will be filled with a bunch of glitches and mistakes, et cetera, that the lodging will be shoddy, that the transportation will break down, the food will be bad, the service spotty, the weather would be too cold, the venues inadequately heated. I mean, all of these things. That sounds like that sounds like an old uh an old aunt who you can never do anything to impress. It sounds like Handel when we're gonna take the show on the road and he wants to make sure everything's in working order. And gets upset if it's not perfect. If it's not. Uh, yeah. Um, hey, coming up next, Swamp Watch. We have the story of Rob Porter, the White House staff secretary, resigning his position because of what his ex-wives say happened during their marriages. We'll what talk is about- his, and what does his current girlfriend say about it all? You know who he's going out with now? No. We'll tell you when we come back. I want to know now. Nope. <sighs> I think I have norovirus. So tell me before you have to go to the bathroom. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, we will be getting to the Rob Porter story, the White House staff secretary who is resigning because some ex-wives are talking about some not great behavior during the marriages. Hope Hicks. Hope Hicks. That's his girlfriend, huh? Hope Hicks, apparently the current girlfriend he's been seen making out with her. She hooked up with Corey Lewandowski, who is also one of the more assertive people that we know of. Interesting. More on that coming up. But first, Aaron Katursky joins us to talk about some of the... uh, Details about what's going on. We looks like we may avoid a government shutdown midnight tomorrow night. May being may. the operative <laughs> word got a little closer today when the Senate leadership McConnell and Schumer agreed to a spending deal that eliminates the the caps on defense and domestic spending, and so calls for three hundred billion more dollars to be spent over the next couple of years 
not only on the military, but also on infrastructure and on the opioid crisis and for veterans and other, uh, and other pet projects. These were spending caps that Republicans in Congress had imposed during the Obama administration, but they uh, went along with um, the Democrats in eliminating those spending caps now uh, in order to keep the government open. But no DACA. DACA not included. And so Nancy Pelosi has been talking for uh, hours on end. Where where did some Democrats stand with this? She's into uh, the fifth hour now of her speech on the on the House floor, urging members to vote no on this uh, Senate deal, because there are no guarantees, at least from House Speaker Paul Ryan, that he would be willing to bring up DACA and Dreamers and a broader immigration bill once this spending plan is enacted. Uh, Mitch McConnell, we know, has promised that to Chuck Schumer, and Schumer seems to be willing to take him at his word. But Paul Ryan seems to be in no rush to give Pelosi what she wants. So she's been standing up there now uh, for four or five hours. uh, And and in the end, it seems like she's trying to pressure and prod. It would be uh, tough to imagine her standing in the way of Democrats who want to vote for the spending deal. Uh, But we'll see. Uh, Mo Brooks out of Alabama said that this is a debt junkie's dream, proof that there are some Republicans who are not happy with this as well. Yeah, th- this is a, I, I don't think any certainty in the House uh, because y- you do have a, a group of fiscal conservatives um, who successfully, when President Obama was in office, uh, enforced spending caps because they were worried about the deficit. And this bill goes ahead and, you know, has $300 billion of deficit spending. So fiscal conservatives are not going to like it. Mo Brooks questioned when the Republican Party, uh, you know, became uh, uh, such spenders. Uh, and so you, if you get enough Democratic opposition through what Pelosi's doing, and, the, you know, the House is no uh, Republican caucus is no certainty, you know, then there's, you know, this deal isn't necessarily a sure thing by the the deadline tomorrow night. How much help does Pelosi have? Have people publicly said one way or the other? Uh, There's a group of Democrats sitting behind her now, and and they've been there for for the long haul. So seemingly they're they're behind her. But, you know, in the end, it it would be, I I really think, difficult to imagine, um, you know, her doing anything but letting her members vote how they want. And, And there are enough uh, Democrats that would probably join Republicans in, in passing the bill. But I think it is notable, uh, certainly, that the, the Senate leaders reached this without putting anything in there to protect DREAMers or boost border security. So they blatantly disregarded what the president called for yesterday, and that was to shut the government down over immigration. Right, over no wall. Right. Right. And, um, and, but the White House today, Sarah Sanders, uh, gave some tentative support to, uh, to what the Senate leaders had reached. Is it as simple as saying this is an example of the compromise that the president talked about during the State of the Union address? Uh, well, look, um, you know, Schumer and McConnell said this is certainly the first sprout of bipartisanship. So it's certainly uh, a, a step in that direction. But it does go against what the president had said he wanted. So who's to say uh, whether this is the president um, somehow corralling lawmakers into compromise or whether they did it in spite of him? As Chuck Schumer said, we've reached a budget deal that neither side loves, but both sides can be proud of. And, And that's because I think it does give Republicans the defense spending they want. It gives Democrats money for things that they want. Uh, you know, there is $20 billion in there for infrastructure spending to perhaps, uh, you know, make the president happy and uh, and some Democrats happy as well. But, you know, without that immigration 
um, decision, it, it does kick that can down the road. Aaron, thank you. Thanks, guys. Aaron Katursky there with the latest what's going on in D.C. and this uh, what looks like a bipartisan deal at least worked out in the Senate. But again, uh, Nancy Pelosi doesn't like it because there's no action on the DACA recipients. So where does this leave us with immigration? Yeah, I don't like Aaron said, this may be something that we use to avoid the government shutdown late tomorrow night. But who knows? I mean, we there's still a lot of work that will have to be done for this thing to pass. So anyway, but the White House has signaled its appreciation of the fact that they at least have something to work from. Coming up next, Rob Porter, White House Staff Secretary. What were his misdeeds, his marital misdeeds? We'll find out also coming up at the top of the hour. Quincy Jones sat down with Vulture and rolled on a bunch of celebrities. Michael Jackson, Oprah, the Kennedys. It's a wide-ranging, very entertaining interview. We'll bring it to you. Have you seen this story about the president asking for a military parade? Yes. Uh, That's very Kim Jong-un of him. Very. And I'm concerned. I keep seeing that the last time we had a military parade like this was in June of 1991, after the uh, first Persian Gulf War, uh, when we walked in and and kicked Iraq's uh, uh, bottoms. We do it when we win things, right? That's when we do it. Mm-hmm. Any other time than that is just a blatant, uh, I feel good about the size of my own arsenal. And the only countries that do that are places like um, <clears throat> North Korea, sometimes Russia, maybe throw in a China there. Kind of ridiculous. We don't have it? to do this. No, because we're the best. All right. More Swamp Watch when we come back. You just want to be in the parade, don't you? No, no, I want nothing to do with that parade. You love parades. I don't know anybody in the military who thinks that would be a great idea. Just just imagine the cost of that. Ahead cost. They're turning it around, too. They're like, why does the mil- the media want a military parade? Oh, boy. Why does the media love the military? Okay. Why do you hate the military, Monica? I should ask you the same oh, thing. Oh, okay, that's enough. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, middle of a swamp watch, checking out what's going on in Washington, D.C., just the latest on the Democratic memo that would rebut the Republican memo that suggested that the FBI may have been politically motivated when they went after a FISA warrant for Carter Page. Chief of Staff John Kelly says the White House is reviewing the Democratic rebuttal memo on the investigation into Carter Page. Uh, that the president will make his final decision uh, on whether to release the memo, whether to redact it, that he expects the memo recommendations to come in by Thursday. Um, And what John Kelly said is that the White House is not leaning either way. He says this is a different memo than the first one. It's lengthier. It's different. So not leaning towards it. But he says it will be done in a very responsible way. But again, where the first one was very clean, Relative to sources and methods, my initial cut is this one is a lot less clean. So very uh, – they have a lot of work to do before they figure this out. Um, but, again, he says that he expects recommendations by Thursday. Rob Porter, White House Staff Secretary, is resigning his position. This is because yesterday there was a news account 
that quoted his two ex-wives accusing him of physical abuse during the course of their marriages. Now, he put out a statement and said, these outrageous allegations are simply false, but then resigned. His ex-wives are Colby Holderness and Jennifer Willoughby. Oh, that's the best, one of the best Twilight Zones. Next stop, Willoughby. Anyway, these two ex-wives both went public in the Daily Mail with accounts of what they described as physically and emotionally abusive behavior. What she said that he broke down her confidence so badly, Colby Holderness, he broke down her confidence so badly with his verbal and emotional abuse that she took an extended leave of absence from grad school that she was in. Um, the Daily Mail out of London also did an interview with the, with Willoughby. She talked about how Rob Porter once dragged her wet and naked out of the shower and was verbally abusive. In <laughs> fact, the, the first time that he referred to as an effing bee was on their honeymoon. Romantic. She wrote about an abusive relationship in a blog in April of last year, but did not name Porter. Uh, But the first, uh, the, the other girl, Colby, said that he would abuse her in a way that didn't leave marks. And she says, I don't know if that was conscious or not. Did you already read this? No, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what that means because I can't. She says he would get angry and throw me down on a soft surface. To his credit, it was always a soft surface surface like a couch or a bed. And he would lay on top of me, shaking me or rubbing an elbow or a knee into me. He graduated to choking me, not ever hard enough to make me pass out or frankly to leave marks. But it was frightening and dehumanizing. Yeah, that's a problem. At least it was on a soft surface, though. Uh, Oscar, no. No, no, no. I mean, she's making those excuses already, though. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. Um, There's an interesting aspect to this story that's kind of um, – that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about Rob Porter and the resignation today because originally the White House uh, stood by him. But just hours after the second set of revelations came out, then he resigned. Still said he was innocent. I'm going to read to you his statement. These outrageous allegations are simply false. I took the photos given to the media nearly 15 years ago, and the reality behind them is nowhere close to what is being described. By the way, one of those photos is of one of those women with a giant black eye. Her, uh, her right eye just covered in bruises. He says, I have been transparent and truthful about these uh, vile claims, but I will not further engage publicly with a coordinated smear campaign. And he says, I've always put duty to country first and treated others with respect. I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to have served in the Trump administration and will seek to ensure a smooth transition when I leave the White House. One of the questions uh, that was asked of Sarah Huckabee Sanders today was his security clearance. Uh, My understanding is that the security clearance itself was never received. She was interviewed, uh, one of the ex-wives, Colby Holderness, was, re- was interviewed by the FBI uh, about their marriage ap- after Rob Porter was given the job, or at least asked to serve in the White House, and he required a security clearance, but he has not received it, according to this report. So if the FBI interviews this guy's ex-wives, and they come back and say, uh, I don't like to talk about it, but he was abusive, 
and the FBI puts a hold on this guy's security clearance, but the White House goes forward with hiring him, even putting him in a position where he's supposed to have a security clearance but doesn't get one from the FBI. That looks horrible for the White House to figure this out. I mean, that they were willing to overlook a domestic abuse allegation like this that would have held up this guy's security clearance. Now, again, the, the way Sarah Huckabee Sanders replied to the question today was to not talk about the security clearance. If he got one or if he didn't, if he had one currently or not. Listen to this classic Lifetime movie manipulation. This is his second wife. She says that in the first weeks and months of the marriage, his explanation for his anger was that his first marriage had been very toxic, rooted in arguments, accusations, and manipulation. And he was carrying that over from the relationship. He would say that he was so used to being treated this way by his ex-wife that he was projecting that onto me. That was the explanation. She says within a couple weeks of their marriage, it was very clear that this guy had a temper that was inappropriate for the trigger. You're asking, well, didn't she know this before they got married? Courtship only lasted six months. They met through the Mormon church. But isn't that classic? Yeah. Oh, it's my my first wife. She, she's the reason I act like this. Which is weird because Colby says that it wasn't until there was a second wife and then a long-term girlfriend who reached out to her that she realized that they were all experiencing the same things, that, he, that, he, that she was realizing he was getting away with it. Those are her words. And that it's a pattern Ugh. and it hasn't gone away. Yuck. Um, by the way, he has been connected to Hope Hicks, who is now an advisor in the White House as well. This 29, 30-year-old uh, former model who uh, stands out in the crowd. She's strikingly beautiful when you put them in a room. And has a penchant for apples, apparently. Uh, yeah, she spent some time with Corey Lewandowski also. But speaking of um, beautiful people, you know who says that he was dating Ivanka Trump for a while? For a minute back there? Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones! And you're saying, what? Quincy Jones, he's got to be, what, 85? Yes. yes. Yes, sir. He says he dated Ivanka when she was in her 20s. He was in his 70s. I, I think... I think maybe we're worrying about the word date here. What does dating mean? A dating could just mean a dinner. But she had the most beautiful legs he had ever seen. Well, we've seen we've all seen her legs. They're okay. They're good. I guess. If you were to objectify women that way, which I would not do. I'm just saying if <laughs> if if Quincy Jones did that. I just got awkward. More on the Quincy Jones interview when we come back to Gary and Shannon. <laughs> we, we have got to. Uh... I'm not Googling anything. Yeah, why are you keep doing. I, I, how many times do I warn you? You go, oh gosh, I think I'll pick some random word. And throw it into Urban Dictionary, and I guarantee you someone's already thought of it and turned it into a sex act. And then you go, gosh, I didn't know that. Well, I really didn't know that that word would result in that. Why IT is not crawling uh, at the door to get in here and shut down your computer and just pull it out of the wall, I don't understand. See, now I want another word. No. I'll tell you later. No. 
Somewhere in the building, there is a giant red flashing light and a siren going off. See, the problem... Warning people. Here's the problem. There's not. Uh. The problem is, is all the stuff that I've Googled over the years here has not risen to the point of a, a conversation. <laughs> you know, for the sake of the show, I've Googled a number of things that make me a see something, say something person. But yet no one comes to talk to me. Not one. Quincy Jones. Oh, my gosh. This is a gold mine. Quincy Jones co-produced Michael Jackson's biggest selling albums. You know Quincy Jones. Been around forever. I think the only way for me to describe Quincy Jones to my kids would be it was Jim's one-time girlfriend from The Office. It's that actress's dad. Like, that's Rashida Jones's dad. That's the only way they would have any clue who Quincy Jones was. But this guy, this interview that he gave to Vulture is, if you're a music fan, for example, and you like uh, Quincy Jones' music stuff, this is a this is a full meal. I mean, he talks about the kind of music that he produced, all of these different artists from the Beatles to he Michael Jackson to Donna Summer. so well. And, and, and the influences that the current music has and Zero. what makes him upset about pop music today. No and, jazz. And he doubles down on his criticism of rap music and yep. hip-hop. I mean, it is, it is a full, full interview just for the music stuff alone. So he's turning 85 in March. There is going to be a Netflix documentary about him, a CBS special hosted by Oprah. So Vulture sat down with Quincy Jones. He's a name dropper. He's truthy. Well, but wait, when you say name dropper. And filterless. <laughs> filterless is definitely in there. When you say name dropper, though, when I think of name dropper, I think of people who are striving to be pain yes striving to be famous you know exactly what i'm talking about yes so they'll constantly You're remind right. you i shouldn't say name dropper he is taking names and throwing them under buses <laughs> he's a name thrower yes oh gosh where do we start let's, let's start, start with, with the michael jackson okay stuff. so he says right off the bat uh, the interview with david marchese says you worked with michael jackson more than anyone he wasn't related to what is something that people don't understand about Michael Jackson? And he says, Quincy Jones' response, by the way, this is a recurring theme. I hate to get into this publicly. He says a few times, like, we shouldn't talk about this publicly. He says, okay, I hate to get into this publicly, but Michael stole a lot of stuff. He stole a lot of songs. State of Independence and Billie Jean's State of Independence was a Donna Summer song. Those notes don't lie, man. He was as Machiavellian as they come. He Machiavellian. says he was greedy. Don't stop till you get enough. A guy by the name of Greg Fillingaines wrote the C-section. He says Michael should have given him 10% of the song. Wouldn't do it. And so the journalist says, well, what about outside of music? What's misunderstood about Michael? And Quincy Jones says, I used to kill him about the plastic surgery, man. He'd always justify it and say it was because of some disease he had. B.S. And the the reason Quincy Jones believed that he was addicted to his looks, the problems that were wrapped up in his fame, his drugs, eventually, he had a problem with his looks because his father told him he was ugly and abused him. What do you expect? Just an absolutely no-holds-barred interview on Quincy Jones' behalf here. He talks about Big Pharma and how 
it has a serious role in OxyContin and all the abuse that's going on. And he says, I was around the White House for eight years with the Clintons, and I'd learn about how much influence Big Pharma has. It's no joke. So then we get in, as obviously any interviewer would, uh, okay, let's talk about the Clintons if you were around them for so long. For example, what are other people not seeing in Hillary Clinton that you see, for example? And she said, or I'm sorry, Quincy Jones says, well, it's because there's a side of her when you keep secrets, they backfire. And the interviewer says, well, like what? Like what secrets is she keeping? And he says, this is something else I shouldn't be talking about. And the interviewer says, you seem to, you sure seem to know a lot. And he says, I know too much, man. And the interviewer says, well, what's something you wish you didn't know? And Quincy Jones says, who killed Kennedy? Now, what we don't see is, is he laughing when he's giving these answers? I don't know. I mean, he seems pretty laid back just based on the language that he's using in, in the responses here. But So he says, who did it? And Quincy Jones goes back to a popular theory that you've probably heard in years past that it was Giancana, Sam Giancana. He says, Sam Giancana, the connection was there between Sinatra and the mafia and Kennedy. Joe Kennedy, he was a bad man. He came to, to, to Frank to have him talk to Giancana about getting votes. And there's been books, movies, all of it written up about this, that uh, the Kennedys needed the help of the mob to pave the way to the White House for the Kennedys. And so they went to the big mob boss in Chicago at the time, Sam Giancana, for help. And once Kennedy won the election in the White House, they turned on the mob. And the mob didn't like that. They were pissed off at Frank Sinatra, too. Uh, but Frank, I believe, played eight rows, eight eight nights in a row at Giancana's club, and then all was forgiven. He and the Rat Pack. But they never forgave Kennedy. No. And people still believe that it was the mob that killed Kennedy. Well, and then when the interviewer tries to press Quincy Jones on this, he says, we shouldn't talk about this publicly. And then he, cha- and then he starts asking the questions, where are you from? And the interviewer says he's from uh, Toronto. So they start talking about music in Toronto and different venues in Toronto. The but Beatles stuff is pretty good. The Beatles. We'll have to explain this when he comes when we come back. But he says, "What did you think when you first heard rock music?" And Quincy Jones says, "Rock ain't nothing but a white version of rhythm and blues, mf'er." And he says, "You know, I met Paul McCartney when he was 21," which leads into a whole series of questions about the Beatles and Quincy Jones's. Uh, attitude i suppose towards the beatles we'll do that when we come back oh uh, who what was this did you see the story about marlon marlon brando oh yeah there's that too there's a lot he he'd f a mailbox that's what he said about marlon brando we all know a guy (laughs) gary and shannon kfi am 640 gary and shannon it's uh, Wednesday. It's February 7th. The Senate leaders, both Republican and Democrats, say they have reached a major budget deal, although it does not look as uh, as certain in the House. In fact, Nancy Pelosi, I believe, is still speaking on the floor of the House right now. Uh, she has said she doesn't want any sort of a budget deal unless it deals with DACA, the one in the Senate. By the way, the plan in the Senate does not include any agreement on DACA, but would at least fund the government for several more weeks and increase spending. So uh, that's coming on, going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Vulture.com did a lengthy interview with music genius Quincy Jones. And there, just about every name from 
of any import from the 60s through today is mentioned, it seems like. Celebrities, musicians, uh, politicians mentioned in this interview. So we left off with the Beatles. And the interviewer says, what were your first impressions of the Beatles? And Quincy Jones says they were the worst musicians in the world. They were no playing MFers. Paul was the worst bass player I'd ever heard. And Ringo, don't even talk about it. I remember once we were in the studio with George Martin and Ringo had taken three hours for a four bar thing. He was trying to fix on a song. He couldn't get it. We said, mate, why don't you get some lager and lime, some shepherd's pie, take an hour and a half and relax a little bit. So he did. And we called Ronnie Varel, a jazz drummer. Ronnie came in for 15 minutes, tore it up. Ringo comes back and says, George, can you play it back for me one more time? So George does. Ringo says, ah, it didn't sound too bad. And Quincy Jones says, I said, yeah, MFR, because it ain't you. Great guy, though. <laughs> he couldn't play the drums. He's a great guy, though. Uh, he was asked about which musicians that he currently likes, all of this stuff. What I thought was interesting is they started getting into the issue of sexual harassment, sexual assault in different industries, music being one of them. But he says, as someone who's worked in that business at the highest levels for so many years, the interviewer asks, do all the recent revelations come as a surprise? And Quincy Jones says, no, man, women had to put up with uh, f up S, women and brothers. And he says, we're both dealing with that glass ceiling. So then they say, well, wait a minute. What about your buddy uh, Bill Cosby? It's hard to square what he's been accused of with the person you know. And and Quincy Jones ignores it, basically. He says it was all of them. Brett Ratner, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein, he's a jive MFer. He wouldn't return my five calls. And the, the interviewer goes back and says, yeah, but wait, wait, hold on. What about Cosby? What about it? Were the allegations a surprise to you? We can't talk about this in public, man. So somehow it, it, it veers into Trump. And uh, he says... You know, Trump, it's uneducated rednecks. Trump is just telling them what I want to hear. I used to hang out with him, he says. He's a crazy MFer, limited mentally, a megalomaniac, narcissistic. I can't stand him. I used to date Ivanka, you know. Record scratch. Hold on. Time out. Pull the car over. Empty out the trunk. The inter- get the spare tire. Jack that car up and ask the question again. The interviewer says, wait, Really? And he says, yes, sir. Twelve years ago, Tommy Hilfiger, who was working with my daughter, Kadada, says, Ivanka wants to have dinner with you. And I said, no problem. She's a fine MFer. She had the most beautiful <laughs> legs I ever saw in my life. Wrong father, though. Now, at the time, she's, what, 24? She was 24 and, and he was 72. 72. Yep. I think when he says he dated her, they just had a dinner because Ivanka maybe wanted to meet him. Well, they... I know immediately when this came out early this morning, they started calling the White House and Ivanka's people for comment, and they haven't said anything. So it's just a strange, very, very strange story. Um, we got to get to the part about Brando. Okay, so they, so he's asking, um, the, the interviewer is asking a whole series of questions about music, the, the business of music, the art of music, Different, um, different kinds of music, and he's talking about musicians today. Musicians today can't go all the way with the music because they haven't done their homework with the left brain. Music is emotion and science. You don't have to practice emotion because that comes naturally. And he says you can only get so far with technique. People limit themselves musically. Do these musicians even know tango or macumba, yoruba music, music, samba, bassa nova, salsa, cha-cha? 
And the interviewer, you can imagine, is probably kind of laughing along with him and saying, maybe not the cha-cha. And Quincy Jones drops this bombshell. Marlon Brando used to go cha-cha dancing with us. He could dance his ass off. He was the most charming mf -er you ever met. Here's where it gets worse. Oh, you want me to say Yeah, it? I'm not going to say it. He says he'd F anything. Talking about Marlon Brando. Anything. He'd F a mailbox. James Baldwin, Richard Pryor, Marvin Gaye. And the interviewer says he slept with them? How do you know that? Come on, man. He did not give an F. You like Brazilian music? I love that he just He veers so quickly, off things he's, he's, very quickly. Like he'll say, he'll drop a bomb about the Beatles and then be like, what's your sign? Right. You know, it's just, it's interesting. Paul Allen apparently is a, is a good incredible friend. musician. Also a good bassist, at least better than Paul, uh, Paul McCartney. We know that. Um, and when he talked about his breakdown, I guess in a memoir he wrote about having a breakdown and... It was right after he had produced Thriller with Michael Jackson. And Quincy Jones sort of clarified that and said it wasn't just that album. It was that he was also as a, working as a producer on The Color Purple at the time with Spielberg. And what he did was he signed on to do the music. Quincy Jones did. And he had to stay at home after everyone wraps up filming and they go on vacation. He's still stuck writing the score for this two-hour movie. And he says, I was so tired from doing that, I couldn't see. I put too much on my plate, and it took its toll. You learn from your mistakes, and I learned I could not do that again. So, I mean, it, this is a Wildly fascinating interview. Yeah. All right, coming up next, Wednesdays with Dr. Wendy. She will be joining us on what to do when you worry yourself awake and living as long as possible not so trendy anymore. A lot of fun on our Instagram today, at Gary and Shannon. Why are perms and pegged pants coming back? So check it out, at Gary and Shannon. Tell us what you think is coming back that needs to stay in the past. The Doctor is in with Dr. Wendy Walsh. Gary and Shannon, it is Wednesday. It is the 1 o'clock hour. And we welcome in Dr. Wendy Walsh, who you hear Sundays right here on KFI. How Thank are you? you. We it's have all worried ourselves awake, I would assume. <laughs> well, it's yes. so strange that Oscar emailed me this morning and said, we want to talk about when you can't get to sleep at night because you're really, really stressed. And that is never me, and I would have never had anything to say on this topic. Until last from... night. Yes! <laughs> I have been awake since 2.40 a.m. Still That's the stressing. Worst. Oh, yes. And you start feeling all clammy. I know. And like fidgety and jittery. I usually don't have a problem. This happens to me sometimes. You are worry-free, aren't no, you? No, not worry-free, but I'll worry about weird things. Like, like we had a tree taken down this week. Aww, and I woke up on Sunday morning, sad. or I guess it was Monday morning. He ordered it down. And I... <laughs> he didn't want but the I, tree. I woke up thinking, how worried, like, how are they going to get up there? How are they going to take it down? Is all that stuff going to get all over my backyard? Why? Where are they going to put all the extra stuff? I mean, it was fine. That's a weird thing to worry about. For me, I had trees I, I'll yesterday. wake up from uh, uh, just thoughts racing. Like, oh, that was me. Yeah. How to solve this. And also feeling, because what happened is I got in a fight with my school administrators, my kid's school, and I was not my highest self. Shall we say? Uh -oh. So I was feeling quite. Doctor Wendy turned uh, all Quincy Jones on people. Uh, start dropping oh, out. Yes. <laughs> I, I I I was filled with shame. 
as really? I was sleeping because I was like, that is not who I am. I usually intellectually talk things out, but someone hit a button on me, a tender spot, and, and I became Mama a human being. I became a human being is what I became. And so now I'm like, okay, how do I solve this problem? What do I say? What do I do? What do I... And so I spent the entire night just stressing about it. But then I would flip back into the thing that touched the tender spot that made me erupt. And that, then I'd get know, into that. Get into that again. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, I'm too mad at them to go and apologize. I can't. I can't. And that was what was happening. Yeah. So anyway, we do have some advice because I did some research for myself and others of what we should be doing okay. when you feel anxious or worried in the night. So uh, you can't just uh, squeeze your eyes harder and try to go back to sleep right away. That's the worst thing you can do. Really? Because if you force yourself to go to sleep, then you've created now a new worry that I can't go to sleep. I can't go to sleep. Yes. Oh, my God, I can't. <laughs> the alarms. You know, you check the phone. I kept checking yes. the time. Oh, I was making myself nuts. I go to sleep in 20 minutes. I should be okay. Right. <laughs> no, don't count the hours. Check the time or force yourself to sleep. I'm a big believer in just accepting that this this is a night and it will the morning will come whenever it comes but you're not supposed to force yourself to go to sleep. Now, there is for people who worry often, I mean, mine this is like the first time in probably 3 years I had a night like this. But some people have this weekly. Yeah. And so for those people that are natural worry warts, they need to set time in the day to worry. And one of the techniques is when you feel the, we call them ruminating thoughts come and they're spinning around in your head, you must have a piece of paper and a pen, and a pen pencil, whatever, beside your bed, and just write down what you promise to think out tomorrow. So it's like you're not getting rid of it. You're just putting it into a little compartment. And then in the day, spend some time when you're fresher to think about these things. So, I would say as a the partner, the bed partner of somebody who can oh. wake up and do this pretty often... Do not ask, and I learned this a couple of years ago, do not ask right as you're going to sleep, hey, what's on the schedule tomorrow? No. Like, what are you doing tomorrow? Because yeah. I would always, I would ask that of my wife just to get a, like a the geography of the day, and then, but that would set off in her the thinking of the coordination of schedule with the kids and the practice, yeah. and then we got to do this, and then we're all going to do this. And- That's why writing it down, like if you're thinking of stuff in the night, just write it down, even a key word that'll help you remember it, and then... Let it go. Now, I was listening to a really good podcast the other day. Um, Gary and Shannon show? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but it was about um, meditation and such. And this woman told the story that she went to see some, you know, she went to some meditation, shaman, whatever, mm. learning it. And the, and the technique that was advised to her to do is to do nothing but just notice the natural peace and ease of your mind. I know. It makes you laugh, right? Because really, do we have that? The truth is anything that's not natural peace and ease is clutter and noise that you put in there. So rather than focusing on the clutter and noise, if you do a few deep breaths and literally it's almost like I feel it in my brain like a muscle relaxing. I don't know actually what happens. Is blood flow changing? Are arteries opening up? I don't know. But I feel this relaxation and I think about just the peace and ease that my brain is supposed to be doing. And I just noticed that. Are you one who gets up in the middle of the night and will read? Oh, I did. I read a lot of things last night. I was reading Shonda Rhimes' new book, Yes to Everything. It's good. She says yes to everything for a whole year. I can't do that. It's too busy. I'm going to no to you everything. You just said no to that. Uh, right. said no. You didn't even give it a shot. Right. She, no to that. Yes I know to that. Well, because I'm in a no <laughs> to everything uh, place right now. I, I have phases where I'm yeah. yes to everything and then. 
no to everything. And then like, I was like, reading, should I go on a run today? No. Yeah. And then I was reading the New York Times in the middle of the night, feeling like the first one in the country to get the oh, issue at cool. three in the morning. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you knew everything before I everyone woke up. I know about Steve Wynn and that manicure oh, yeah. happening. Oh, yeah. The Larry yeah. Bird shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, what else can we say about sleeping and worrying? Well, there are the physiological things that you can do, which is make sure your room is dark. I actually had a little eye patch I put on, you know, one of those sleeping mm-hmm. masks. Yeah, I, I put on a sleeping too. mask and a cup of warm milk. Those things do work. Oh, oh no, you don't. Like I just warm have milk? like a spoonful of mayonnaise. That's oh, disgusting. Wow, those are wow. different things. Blake, Very I'm different things. No, it's just as bad. Blake went those reaching for the bucket things. there. Gross. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, because I can't, uh, that's just the, the darkness of the room, the maybe white noise machine. Didn't you say you have one? I do. I got one for you Christmas. You like the white noise machine? I love it. Oh, it's so irritating to me. It's oh, like really? a fake wind or fake ocean. Oh, no. Mine's not an ocean. It's just white noise. It's, just, it's, it's like an air conditioner gun. Yes, air conditioner or yeah, a fan yeah. even. Oh, it's no, it's like very that. peaceful to me. Oh, to me. I that... thought that when I first heard it, I was like, this is not going to work. But then. And then you woke up eight hours later and went, what? What happened? Yeah, to me, that's like having fake plants in your room. I couldn't sleep with <laughs> fake plants either. Okay, and you know the body scan exercise and meditation? Okay, this is a favorite thing I do, and this actually does work for me. And I think by about 5.38 a.m., it I remembered this and did it. And I got to sleep for about, you know, 20 minutes before yeah. the alarm went off. Uh, but what you do is you take a deep breath, you close your eyes, and you imagine that there are heavy bricks on your feet. And every time you exhale... Your feet get heavier and your your feet get pulled down into the mattress. And then that feeling, you move it up your legs into your hips. And you do it slowly with each breath. So each breath, a new brick is tied on. I'm getting very sinking. sleepy. <laughs> and I'm trying to say it fast. And, but anyway, by the time you get up to your shoulders and your neck and your head and you're feeling those bricks and you're falling deeper, deeper into the bed, you fall, you're asleep. It's like office space where he says deeper and deeper. It's like my weighted deeper blanket. And deeper. It's Oscar also fell asleep like in the second quarter That's of the Super true. Bowl because he was wearing my weighted blanket. <laughs> he on the wore couch. your weighted blanket. Yeah, I did enjoy oh. it though. See, I, I I want one that's a little heavier though. I think. So did it have like chains in it or something? Like no. heavy metal chains? <laughs> it's like, it's, like, uh, it's, like it's got BBs bees. in it. Like yeah. it's quilted, so there's oh, individual squares. So the BBs don't move around. Yeah, not. I mean, just in that within little their own square. little square, like two inch squares. Yeah, two or three inches. It's good. It's beautiful. It's a nap day for you, isn't it? (laughs) It might have to be now that I've said that. (laughs) All right, coming up next, we don't want to live as possible, as long as possible anymore because we're living so long. The age of how long we can live has just gone up. Again? I'll I'll tell you the age when we get back. Oh, goodness gracious. Harry and Shannon will continue. Dr. Wendy Walsh has joined us. has joined us. One of the uh, stories that we are keeping an eye on all day today is the fact that it looks like the Senate has come together and put together a budget deal. That nobody likes. Not everybody (laughs) likes it. In fact, Nancy Pelosi on the floor of the House has been speaking for, let's see, since 7 o'clock our time. So she's five, six. She's in her sixth hour. She's almost seven hours into the speech on the House floor. She She has not taken a break. She wants DACA uh, addressed, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It's weird because it's it's a filibuster-like speech, but it's not stopping anything, at least not yet. We'll see how far she goes. Also, the California Parole Board has been granting releases like crazy. San Bernardino saw six convicted killers 
given a get out of prison pass just in the past month. We're going to be talking to the district attorney down there, Mike Ramos, tomorrow about what the hell's going on with our state parole board. All right. Let's talk about living as long as possible. Um, So, you know, we live longer than we think we do. We live longer than we think we do. First of all, says Professor Walsh, do you know the difference between lifespan and life expectancy? Lifespan is how long you actually live. Mm, How long you could live. A human lifespan versus human life expectancy. What's the difference? So one is biologically how long the longest human can live, what we're programmed for. And then life expectancy is based on environmental conditions and cultural conditions and behaviors. And fireball shots. Yeah. What your life expectancy might be. (laughs) So lifespan has gone up. It was always thought that it was 120 years. But now there are enough people over 120 that it's 125. This is why I don't believe in clean Uh living. You know because I mean? you'll well, live too long you, you in an old age home. Can't, I can't do that. We cannot Can you imagine do a quarter century in an old age home? <laughs> it's not well, every happen. once in a while, we'll do a story about somebody who's 96, 98, and Shannon says she doesn't want to go that far. Well, like, that's not Because I know my life expectancy will not be, it won't be a great quality of life for me, probably, at 96. In fact, I smoked for a long time. You know, I teach health psychology, and one of the uh, case studies that I present are identical twin males who share the same DNA, obviously, identical twins, and obviously they were born on the same day, and they ended up dying very close, within months of each other. But the difference is that one of them lived a very healthy life. The other one, so they both had the heart attack gene and had a heart attack in their 40s, but one totally had been healthier along the way, changed his life. The other one went on to diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, emphysema. He was a smoker. He didn't exercise. So if you look at a a sort of graph of their lifespan, the one who didn't practice good behavioral medicine actually had a solid third of his life where he was ill. And then his twin brother, all the same things that happened to the other one happened within like the last 18 months. Interesting. Yeah. So we call it compressing morbidity. And that's really our goal. Health psychologist's goal is to um, teach people about behavioral medicine early on. What about that attitude, though? The attitude of, I don't want to live to a past a certain... It's not even a number. And I know that when Shannon says it, she's not saying it as a number. There's a certain quality of life. Why? Because I don't want to get to a point where I can't do the things that I like doing. And and I've said that once I stop being able to do what I like to do... uh, Stand on the sidelines at football games in the cold. Well, I know that that's not going to happen for very long. I mean, I would like no, to be you able be the to first watch ninety-five-year-old. I'd like to be able reporter. to watch a football game on television and mm-hmm. enjoy it, and, and have your eyes working, and follow it. My eyes working. You know, I'd like to have a glass of bubbles while I watch it. Champagne. I don't want, yeah. Aww. Um, you know, I'd like to get up and move around, go to You're the bathroom. You're setting the bar pretty low, though. Right, I mean, but, right. but towards end of life, these are things that go away. I'm not saying I want to shuffle off at 75. I'm just saying I, I, once quality of life is gone, you know, I want to be done. And well, I don't think people that's, who that's, don't want to live a, a super long time actually have that belief. They're worried about the quality of life. They think that they're going to be sick for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I don't want. And that's why the good news is that 70% of cancers, for instance, are completely avoidable because of, you know, lifestyle stuff. 
and heart disease. If you get wind of it early, you got to change your diet and exercise when you're young and follow it. And it's amazing how you can have great quality of life and live a really long time. I'm having a heart attack right now. You are. You don't say that. That makes it weird. Have you gone to the doctor, by the way? Are you having chest pains? No. I had those last night, too, when I was stressing chest pains. No, that's called gas. Oh. It's not chest pains when you're stressed out. It's gas. It was? Yeah, yeah. wait. Why do I have to go to the doctor? Well, you just have heart disease in your family, so you should go. have heart disease. Have you been visiting your parents, by the way? Oh, my God. It's 2018. You guys. (laughs) I feel like I'm visiting my moms right now. That was your New Year's resolution. I did. I went a week and a half ago. Good. Uh, so we now you have their to, bathroom. You so. have to go in six more weeks. <sighs> they wonder why men want to be alone. <laughs> have you gone to the doctor recently? Uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, months ago. Okay. Why? We just want to keep you healthy. Why? You to practice good why? behavior. I don't want to be around that long. See, <laughs> <laughs> proving our point. Okay. Perfectly. I don't want to be. I don't want to be eighty-eight years old. The, I've well, seen that. That's not fun. What do you guys have coming up today? Uh, there is some crackpot school in Calabasas who wants to do away with uh, father-daughter dances because it's not uh, gender uh, equitable in- or some such. Yeah, inc- it's not inclusive or equitable or some so dads can't dance with their daughters and it's caused a big ruckus up there. They got. Uh, they also got rid of mother-son sporting night. They came up with something <laughs> called me and my VIP. <laughs> Well, I will say, having raised my kids without a dad present, it's always sad when those days come, the father-daughter dance. Yeah, but no one at that school would ever prevent them from taking whoever they wanted. Really? I guarantee. Oh, we just avoided the whole mess. Uh, Well, safer that way, I guess. John and Ken, coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. And so we come to the end of another fun-filled episode of... Gary and Shannon. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now. A low interest rate on everyday purchases. And place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU. Anyway.